Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. All four of us back in a room for the first time in a couple of months. We are going to be talking at World Cup 2023 semi-finals and final preview. Uh, we've got one game to go in the tournament as we record this. So um, any spoilers in terms of Indian injuries, particularly going into the finals. Um, this is being recorded before the India-Netherlands game this evening. Um, but our predictions are still going to stand because we know who is in both semi-finals. We're going to tell you who's in the final as well. All coming up <laughs> on the Top Order podcast World Cup Cricket Finals preview. Stay tuned. Boys, um, feels weird to be back in the same uh, same room together. This has certainly been my little uh, podcast studio the last uh, the last 60 days or so. Um, is, it, is it really that long? I don't think it's 60, feels but it feels, it feels a long like, time. Yeah. So what was it? October the 5th. And where are we now? Sort of November. Yeah, yeah so not quite. Yeah, maths is, is mm. poor there. That's okay. Um, and yeah, certainly some mathematics were flying around the Slack channel last night. Um, for uh, viewers and listeners, Stu and Raj thought India could, uh, you know, could uh, sorry, Pakistan could bowl England out for minus fourteen the and, and chase them in six balls, but um, that that didn't come to pass. So, um, in terms of the semi-finals, we've got confirmation now of the of the semi-final. So that first semi-final Wednesday, the fifteenth of November at the Wankhede, um, India versus New Zealand. So that's position one playing position four. Um, and then we've got the second semi-final day-night game as well. Eden Gardens, uh, which is um, I think where England played their game against Pakistan uh, last yeah. night on a used wicket. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about um, about that as well. So that's position two plays position three. But look, I think the the, the format for this lippy. Do you want to give us the explainer? Because I think you're the only one with any pre-prepared remarks, aren't you? The format. Well, it's, I think if no one knows how the semi-finals work, then, uh, then oh, I the think format of the podcast. Stuart. Oh, the format oh, of the podcast. Right. Okay, okay. I thought I think we're just free freewheeling it. Really, I think we're going to talk about these two semi-finals, aren't we? We're going to talk about uh, kind of wh- how we think they might play out. I think for New Zealand, certainly, I wouldn't mind kind of talking about the. Uh, the path to the semi-finals. I think it's been quite an interesting one for for New Zealand and some sort of shades of uh, tournaments past for them. But yeah, I think we're just going to look at these tournaments or look at these two semi-finals, work out the games, tell, exactly like you said, tell tell say tell the listeners and viewers who's going to win the games, and then uh, and then they'll pick the other sides and and uh, cash their checks. Cool. So the, the elephant in the room for me, and this is flying around a hell of a lot on social media at the moment, is um, India. And look, as we said right at the top of the podcast, they've still got one game to go. But I'm looking at Baldy's very uh, snazzy little colour-coded <laughs> greens and reds for wins and losses throughout the course of this tournament. India green across the board at the moment in mm. terms of their um, their record. So th- the question I want to open with before we probably talk a little bit about the teams is, from a format perspective... Do we think it's a big enough advantage for potentially going nine from nine in the group stages that really the only advantage that you've got, um, and look, regardless of whether this was India's home tournament or not, it doesn't really make a difference. It is. They've already got, you know, that advantage, but we didn't know that going into the tournament. Um, well, and, and, only, and look, their only advantage is that they get to play the fourth finish um, team. We've got so many tournaments around the world where we've got the dominators and the baconators and all these eliminators. Do, do we feel as if this, you know, this format is, you know, is really reflective of giving any advantage to that team that tops tops the table first and foremost? I'm sure we get lots of comments from our Indian listeners, particularly. I don't know. I mean, does anyone have strong thoughts? Because I, I don't really. I mean, when I look at the World Cups, it's always been like this. I sort of feel like that's fine, you know. Like semi-final, like the pool play is one thing, and semi-final play is another. And even if you look back at Super Sixes and all of those other formats, it's still the same. You get to a knockout at some point. You get to a knockout game, and you've got to win those games. And you know, yes, you can say like, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Because rugby league is is slightly different in terms of you know another sport that we follow very closely in terms of actually getting. Yeah, it's a bit more like the IPL or, or these other tournaments where you get a second chance if you're the top couple of qualifiers. So personally for me, I like the everyone plays everybody round robin. I think that's the right way to do it. But I feel like it's a bit of a sharp drop-off to only have four teams in the the post-season, post-round robin play. I mean, you look at basketball, they have, what, 60% of the teams make the playoffs? Mm. 50-something. NRL, half the teams make the playoffs. I do think it's a, a stage is missing there. I don't know what that is. And... You know, it's showing quite starkly by your green and, and red sort of uh, table there that India has probably deserves an advantage of some kind because they've just absolutely dominated all the way through and everything is reset back to... like the, 
people in the the teams in three and four actually have a massive mental advantage going into this game because especially with New Zealand it's almost like a free free shot you know mm. if we lose we're not expected we're expected to lose against India in India. Uh, India have a weight of a billion people on their shoulders mm. uh, going into this game, and uh, you know that that may weigh on them. We don't know, and I just I think that's probably a little thing that they're yeah. I concur missing. with your thoughts on the group stage, and and I think there should be a better reward. I think as you alluded to, Binksy, for for winning the group stage or at least finishing in the top two. Um, you know, the, a format like the McIntyre system, where teams that finish in the top one or top two have a second bite at the cherry at making the final seems like a just reward for performing so well across a month and a bit of group play. You know, India will have played nine games. They could win nine straight. And then, you know, to go out in New Zealand to New Zealand in the semi-final would be, for Indian fans, I'm sure, a big letdown. So I think there is something to having a, a second bite at the cherry for those sides that finish in the top two would be the only adjustment to the format that I think I would make. I think I do think that it is a good point in that, like, yeah, we play everyone, everyone plays everyone, and I remember talking at, when we did our preview around this format. I still feel like you find out who the best team is in this tournament. You know, who's who's been the best team across the the, the six weeks or whatever it is by the end of the tournament. I agree with you guys though. If India, if New Zealand beats India, and they go out, I think that is a bit like India has been the best team. I'm prepared to sit here and admit right now that. No matter what happens in this next, you know, semi-finals and finals scenario, India has comfortably been the best team in this tournament. And if they don't win, then either they've done, you know, either they've done something wrong. A team's played absolutely brilliantly against them, and to beat them on on one day, and it means that potentially, you know, then they're, they're not going to be lifting the trophy at the end of the day. So yes, perhaps perhaps it's something to look into. But like I said, at some point you got to play these knockout games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely agree on that. Um, so I think what we can safely say is that there's there's three of us for sure that think that we we should have the McIntyre system. Oh, that's, I, the, I, that's the that's the very, very, yeah. very good. Uh, Lippy, you are being <laughs> extremely parochial and you don't care whether uh, New Zealand upset the apple cart and uh, oh, I care and, a lot. I and, hope and, it happens. And, and India, yeah, India have a record of yeah uh, nine and one, and they crash out, and uh, you know you scrape through. I'm on boundary count back. Okay, cool. No problem. Won't happen this time. Too, too early? Too no. early? Okay. Right. Um, which semi-final are we going to cover first? Where do, where do we want to go? Chronological, I think. Yeah. Chronological. Seems, seems logical. Okay, so let's go to, to Wednesday night then. So we've got India versus New Zealand in that first uh, semi-final. Day-night game, Wank Haiti Stadium. Um, 8.30 GMT, 2 p.m. local and 9.30 p.m. here. Uh, on the, the 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 land of the long white cloud, shall we say? And um, what are you know? What are your initial thoughts now in terms of we've talked a lot about permutations for for New Zealand throughout the course of the tournament? Have they found you know? Can we write down what that eleven is for New Zealand? Do we think going in, or or are we still looking at the pitch and and, and having a bit of a yeah, a bit of a horses for courses component to selections? I'm probably interested to get Raj's thoughts because I'm very, you know, as you said, I'm very parochial. Look, I've, I've watched pretty much, you know, as you say, the time difference here in New Zealand. These games are very, very tricky for us to, to watch at night, but I've, I've pretty much watched every ball live of this New Zealand, you know, this New Zealand World Cup, which means not a lot of sleep. And in some ways, I'm kind of looking forward to the end of this World Cup. But it does sort of have, like I said, I wanted to talk a little bit about the road that New Zealand has had. It's got very, very 2019 shades mm. in it because in that tournament, New Zealand started out very well, kind of got on a roll at the start. Everyone was penciling them in for, for semi-final spots and then they lost games to England, lost games to Australia and kind of just sort of tumbled in, 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 in like tied with Pakistan on run, net run rate. Pakistan ended up losing last night and so that New Zealand actually finished higher on points but it was a similar kind of scenario. We've played very, very well in those first four games, beat England. Everyone kind of thought that that was a momentous game. And as it turns out, you know, perhaps it wasn't. But I think it still was for New Zealand mentally in terms of, you know, we are here, we are ready to go. We're just beating the defending champs. We're a very, very good side. But then the last, you know, last cup two, three weeks of this tournament haven't quite gone to plan. And, you know, yes, we beat Sri Lanka, get in. But it feels like we sort of, again, have kind of, stumbled into the semi-finals as we always do and now we're going okay like we've got India again can we do it again yeah I think if you do look back at the the last couple of weeks you talk about where we've had those losses 
I don't think there have been massive losses aside from the South Africa game. Yeah, South yeah, Africa, the South exactly. Africa game was a massive loss. But I think if you look at some of the, te- the losses the other teams have had, they have been much bigger losses against opponents they probably shouldn't lose games to and, and things like that. I think New Zealand's actually been fairly consistent mm. uh, playing-wise. Uh, so I'm, I'm not too concerned about that. I think the format that we just talked about gives New Zealand a great excuse just to forget about the last two or three yeah. weeks and, and play the game that, that's in front of them. Uh, in terms of the 11, uh, your question there around the 11, I think if you look at the bowlers, you've got the Bolt, Saudi, Ferguson, Santon. I think that's plan. That's the plan that they would have had at the start of the season. Maybe a Henry bracketed in there. Um, yeah. With him not fit, I think that's what they would have wanted uh, throughout the, the first half. Of, uh, sorry, to go into a sort of uh, semi-final knockout game. Um, and again, we're looking to cobble that fifth bowler together. Um, what do you, what do you make of that? Uh, can, Stu, I'll throw can, it back to you. Can I ask a quick question on that? And this is this is to you boys probably. So mm. we've talked a hell of a lot about Rachin Ravindra um, on the podcast. We've obviously spoken to him on the podcast as well. The form that he's found with the bat has been, you know, he he is, you know, he's going to get some decent money in the next IPL auction. You, you would you would suggest? He said he likes playing at Bangalore. This is what, yeah. is what he <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> see him say that. On well, the, do you know what? I reckon it might be like the old rock music. Uh, yeah, hello Chicago, I love you. Yeah, I've, I've been for a hot dog and then. <laughs> yeah, the next night it's hello Philadelphia. I really love a cheesesteak. Yeah, um, I think he's probably playing to the home crowd a little bit there. But um, my my question is around the, the fact that he's probably also um, it, look in my view bowled a little bit more than I would have expected throughout the course of the tournament. You've also got um, you know Glenn Phillips uh, has put in a couple of handy spells. Mm. Has that helped with your permutations, particularly that question around? Uh, maybe Jimmy Nisham as you know someone that was offering similar sort of ballast in you know that sort of seven eight uh, or six seven spot for him with a bat, but offering a few overs. Ratchin now a top order batter who bowls a few overs. It, you know we, we've talked about it. It's tremendously useful um, in this format. Has, has that been you know something that that might have changed over the course of the tournament, or do you think that was always the plan? I would say it's funny, isn't it? Because like that was Michael Bracewell's role. Like that was going to be Michael Bracewell's role throughout this tournament. Uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of made stuff about how Ratchin wouldn't have played if Kane was fit. But I don't even think he would have been in the squad mm-hmm. if Michael Bracewell was fit and hadn't had that, his injury in, in the hundred. I think or what, wherever it was. So yeah, look. I mean, I think it's had a, a it's obviously had a big impact, and I actually think the fact that Phillips has been taking wickets has almost been more impactful because it's meant that they've never had to go to, we need five bowlers. Because I, I yeah. genuinely thought at the start, I, I think in the preview I said it, I thought they would go with five bowlers and Santner at seven. I thought that, that would they would just have to trust that top six to get the runs and say, we also trust our bowlers, in the same way that India is now doing, yeah. to say, we have five good bowlers and we're going to restrict you. But because Phillips Ravindra have picked up wickets at key times, they've been able to say, okay, maybe we can kind of get away with it. And, and you're 100% right about Bracewell, especially in the subcontinent. He was actually consistent, consistently taking wickets, consistently mm. bowling at a low economy rate. So that was a bit of a hole that we had. I thought that Saudi, well, sorry, Saudi Sodi would have mm. more of a, a role to play uh, on the subcontinent with his leg spin. But I do feel like we're just, we're just cobbling that together a little bit and hoping one of those bowlers come off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like a, a hope factor, not that we know it's going to go well. We mm. hope it goes well. And for, luckily for us, it has gone well mm. uh, with those extra extra bowlers. But speaking of Nisham, I do think the if, if we look at the five, six, seven, right, I'm happy that they've kind of, they're happy to change that order up depending yeah, on the situation of the game. Uh, I think that has led to, probably Latham not having much time at the crease. Mm. He scored 250s throughout this uh, tournament, but apart from that, he's had very little opportunity. Uh, and that, that sort of leaves the, the Chapman-Nisham complexity that I was talking to you about there. What is Chapman's role if... if is he, a, is he a finisher? Is he there to back up Latham if something goes wrong? I'd, I think he doesn't quite fit. If he's not going to bowl, I would actually prefer to see someone like uh, Jimmy Nisham who can go out there and actually change the course of a game in 20 balls mm. with the bat. Um, but yeah, that, that that's probably my, my only question around that side, that makeup of the side. I don't think Nisham is in our plans for our first 11 yeah, it if, doesn't if, seem um, like it, does it? if they're fit. Yeah, because he scored those rounds against Australia and, and then obviously got injured just quite at the wrong time because 
you know, that that was a great knock. And I think if, you know, as much as he quite, hasn't quite been in his best form, Bully and I have had numerous conversations about how Nisham hasn't really kicked on in that finisher mode and different times he's sort of threatened and he'll hit a couple of sixes and then he'll just get out playing a silly shot or he'll, you know, hit one straight to a fielder and, and you know, he gets 20 and he doesn't quite get the 50. That's exactly what he did against Australia. He got the 50, got them to the, you know, he's one ball away from winning them that game. So, yeah, I, I feel like, I still feel like he's the kind of guy we want if we need 50 off five overs, yeah. even though, I do, yeah, I sort of agree with you that I think Chapman's ahead of him in the picking order. Mm. Ball, do you, I'm going to throw to you. I guess, you know, we're not quite neutrals. You know, we obviously live in New Zealand. Uh, we were talking earlier on, Lip. I've, I've actually got the passport. Uh, not not going to support you, but um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's handy. It gets me to 73. You're going to support yeah. someone. 70, to support someone in these semifinals. Exactly, yeah. It gets me to 73 countries around the world, that New Zealand passport. Um, Baldy, from a neutrals perspective, you're India, um, so get yourself into the, the the mind of the Indian camp. Who are you? Who are you worried about in the New Zealand um, setup? What you know? What what sort of is on your whiteboard in your team meeting tonight? Oh, Phillips and Nisham, I think, would be the would be the two that I'd be concerned about of of the three that we've discussed of the Phillips Nisham Chapman conversation. I'd be most concerned about Phillips and Nisham, particularly Phillips. Phillips can take a game away from you in, in the blink of an eye. But, but so can James Neesham. And we haven't seen it from him yet except for the Australia game. But if we remember back to the sort of Colin Munro conversation that we had here on the podcast, you know, if you have a good tournament, you win two or three games off your own bat. And I feel like James Neesham has more, uh, more potential to win a game off his own bat, as you've said, Stuart, than potentially Mark Chapman. From a bowling perspective, yes, Jimmy Neesham is quite considerably the most expensive of those options with the ball. I mean, his, his economy rate in this World Cup so far is 10.8, whereas you've got pretty good economy out of Ravindra at 5.6 and, and Glenn Phillips at 5.7. You've actually got pretty good economy out of that third bowling option and a couple of wickets, particularly mm. Phillips in the Australia game. So if you've got all of those options combined, I would plump for James Neesham um, if I was New Zealand, just because he provides a point of difference in that bowling lineup, if you needed a fourth bit of seam. And if I'm India, I'm more concerned about what James Neesham can do to me in the space of 10 or 15 balls than potentially Mark Chapman. Not that Mark Chapman isn't capable of hitting the ball out of the ground, but I think you know James Neesham just has a little bit more X factor to him. What do we think, uh, sort of throwing it back to, to the two neutrals again, what do we think of the fact that this game is at Wankati Stadium? If we look back at the games that have been played there, South Africa beat England, they scored 399. South Africa again beat Bangladesh, 382. India got 357 against Sri Lanka. And then, you know, the Glenn Maxwell game where both sides, Afghanistan and Australia, scored almost 300. Do we think that that's... Like, is that a, a concern for New Zealand or a, or a help for New Zealand? Like, does it make any difference that these this ground in particular has seen very, very high scores and is likely probably to be another flat wicket and a lot of runs? Yeah, well, look, I, I think I probably, you, you've summed it up in your last comment, it's a flat wicket, and I think that that probably means that um, at least we should see an, an even contest. I, I'm not sure that we necessarily would have said the same if this game was at Eden Gardens. Um, it looked to be gripping a little bit more. So I think, um, you know, there'd have been an advantage there, I think, for, for India from a, yeah, from a, a bowling attack perspective. So uh, look, again, we, we also talked at the top of the podcast whether or not this was the fairest set of circumstances in terms of India um, so I think that that flat pitch it gives them an opportunity um, that you know the toss shouldn't really you know play too much into the semi-final it should be a good wicket you would you would hope um, so look, I, I think that that's a good thing for this I think that that's what you would want to see particularly mm. when you've got that jeopardy you don't really want too much jeopardy in a, in a semi-final that would be conditions based that you would you would kind of want a wicket that's going to hold together conditions that are going to be pretty even throughout the uh, the course of the six or seven hours of the game um, would be my yeah would be my two cents on uh, yeah on on the Wankhede versus probably Eden Gardens and Raj I, I guess like we're twenty minutes in we should probably talk about India they they're quite good aren't they they've been very good in this tournament so let's throw that back in the same fashion yeah. who are you boys you, you know you're going to be on Slack on on Wednesday night um, and you are going to be 
um, shitting bricks again. You're going to be <laughs> negativity and oh my goodness. And could Pakistan oh, possibly it, chase down? I think you're over exaggerating. I think we're all. Shall we, shall we read the comments? I that, think we were just saying it was possible, mathematically was possible, mathematically possible that, that yes, Pakistan they would have chased three hundred off three point eight overs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so so um, let, let's actually frame the question around the worry. Um, we've talked a hell of a lot about India's strength um, in depth. Um, I'm sure we'll go on and cover what we think their, you know, their side uh, will look like. Um, you know, I think we can definitely talk about what their bat- batting lineup would be. Um, but yeah, who who are you? Um, or, or maybe let's frame it in a different way. Who are you not worried about in that Indian side? Yeah, how do we beat them, Raj? I think. I think. Let's. How do we? How does? How can New Zealand win this game? Because India has been just so so dominant. Where where are the the potential cracks? So for me, I think the way to beat India is to slow them down with the bat. And it's a very hard thing to say, slow them down with the bat, but we need to, either if, if they are batting first, we need to keep them to a score that is chaseable, so that is something under, well under maybe, 3 350, I'm talking, you know, 280, 300, I think something that we could chase. Mm. Um, if, we are, um, if we are batting first, it's putting those runs on the board and then squeezing them throughout the middle. The reason I say that is because I don't really see a weakness in India's bowling lineup. Yeah. I don't think we can go out there and say, we're going to go out and score 400 runs or we're going to chase down whatever they score. We need to actually have a plan of how many runs we can score and how we're going to go about it, which bowlers we are going to target um, and and go, go from there. But um, yeah, I, that's a very hard question to answer, Stu. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say the, tar- the bowlers we're going to target because I think New Zealand have certainly... Like played that way throughout this tournament. They've looked at each bowling lineup and gone, okay, we've picked these two bowlers or whatever, whoever it is. They've gone, we're going to target those two. And in, and in that India game, it was cool deep. They very, very clearly, uh, Daryl Mitchell especially was like, I'm not going to let you settle. I'm going to come down the wicket and I'm going to dong you over your head for six, and we're going to get stuck into you. And they actually tried to do the same to Shami, and they they almost did. Uh, Will Young got out early against him but then they started to get on top of him but Shami came back so well in the at the death overs and kind of stifled New Zealand and, and got them to a you know a very very gettable total in the end but yeah I do think that that that'll be the key that India has those five bowlers but who who I mean who is next if is it Kohli like Kohli or Ayo who who bowl, who is the sixth bowler for India this there's actually, you know, you, that that's kind of the level we're talking about. It's Virat Kohli bowling off the wrong leg or, and Shreyas Iyer maybe bowling a few. So they almost, like they did in that KO, uh, in that other game, it's probably, you know, cool deep just keeps bowling. Like if, if one of them gets hit, that bowler will just keep bowling and they'll bowl those, yeah. their 10. I don't see any of them not bowling 10 overs aside, you know, aside from injury, yeah. which mm. we don't want to see. Do, do you think that New Zealand will do anything bold in terms of tactics against India? And uh, we talked a little bit on this morning's podcast, um, the Australian batting order. I think, Border, you said uh, Mitch Marsh would you know, probably prefer to open the batting rather than bat three. Steve Smith would probably prefer to bat three rather than... Um, bat four. Would you see New Zealand doing anything, you know, like pinch hitting or like trying to uh, manufacture a matchup or anything like that? Or are they going to go in with? I guess what you know, there's a, that quote about Super Bowl, isn't it? You know, the, the worst thing you can do as a Super Bowl coach is have to change a season strategy at halftime in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Is there any change to New Zealand's strategy through the course of? Uh, through the course of the fact that this is a, you know, a, as you said, almost a free hit, isn't it? That you're in the semi-final against them. Personally, I don't think so. I think that top four will remain as it has been. Any sort of changes will happen through that five, six, and seven, depending on yeah. the the game situation. But you know, it's something Brendan McCullum would do. If, if, if he was the coach, if he was the captain, he'd throw up a Jimmy Neesham to open the batting or something just to throw them off. Because we were talking about the bowlers before there. I'll let you answer that question just after this. But Siraj, I think, is also the other key mm. for us. If, if we go out there and have a look at him and the ball's not swinging, mm. you know, if it is coming straight, doing a little bit off the deck, maybe he might be someone we should target as well at the start. If he's, and, and he has been expensive at yeah. times, Siraj. He has been at times in this World Cup, not all the time, but he has been at times below his best or below the standard that he would probably set for himself. But he's been covered for brilliantly by mm. Jasper and potentially also Shami, uh, depending on you know how many games he's played, obviously. So, yeah, for New Zealand, I think they're going to have to pick their poison because they're going to have to go after one of those guys and try and make India change their game plan. Mm. And I think that will be the key for New Zealand's batters. If they can force a game plan change for India 
that's first blood to New Zealand because if India can just dictate terms, I can't see I can't see New Zealand having enough firepower comparatively to India to be able to outgun them in a in a in a straight up run scoring shootout, right? And I think we I think we all agree, and you guys have already said that. Oh, look, I mean, you know, as you said, Siraj, yes, Siraj, if you look at those five bowlers across the tournament for India, he has. He's been, you know, the most expensive uh, at 5.2 and over, which is still yeah. pretty good it's in this tournament. still better than all the Australians who we'll talk about shortly. And, you know, an average of 31. The, like, that's still, if I think that's about Trent Bolt's stats, yeah. who, you know, probably actually hasn't had his best tournament, but still is, I think, second or third for New Zealand. But, I mean, honestly, these other numbers, are, I'm going to read them out because they are actually just ridiculous. Shami's average is 7. He, his economy rate is 4.3. Boomer's is average 15 at an economy rate of 3.6. Jadeja, average of 17, 3.7 economy rate. And Deep 22, average of, oh, economy rate of 4.1. I mean, they, they have been, like I said, they have been so dominant and so impressive in this tournament. And, you know, it is often all of the batters that get all the praise, the Virats, and, you know, he's been good as well, and Sharma and everything. But this bowling attack has been absolutely immense. And, you know, I think uh, you're talking about trying to do something different. I think New Zealand's strength, we, we're just going to have to play to that and say that top four is our strength. Those four batters in Ravindra, Conway, Mitchell and Williamson that's where we have to win the game if we're against, you know, against this Indian bowling attack. We have to blunt them up front, build huge partnerships and kind of give a platform for Phillips and Chapman yeah. or whoever it is at the end to try and go big because, yeah, I mean, look, it's amazing to me that we're sitting here. It still is quite amazing that we're sitting here talking about Rachin Ravindra as one of those, those yeah. batters because... I mean, yeah, you talked about his life changing. He's been so amazing. Yeah. I think, you know, everyone should just, at the second, just take a pause to realise that this kid probably wasn't in the World Cup squad and now he's, like, been the player of the tournament just about. It is it is amazing. Can I just make one more point just on that bowling? Um, you mentioned all of those terrific Indian bowlers and they've been perfect for Indian conditions. They know them better than anyone. They're the best at exploiting them. What I will say that for New Zealand will be something that they can take solace from or, or take into it as a strength is the way that Southian bolt bowl is very similar to the way those Indian bowlers bowl in that terms that they stand the seam up straight mm. and they get the ball to move and, and nip a little bit. We saw that in that last New Zealand game where Southie bowled really, really well at the top because he stood the seam up. He got a little bit of movement in the air and a little bit off the pitch. I think if New Zealand are going to do damage to India, it's going to be with those guys that stand the ball up straight and just get that little bit of movement early doors. So they're very similar in terms of the way that they position the seam to those Indian seamers, and you've got guys like Santner to be able to be not quite on the same level as Jadeja in terms of his economy, but close to it, right? And teams have sat in against Santner. So, you know, like for like, there's there's some strengths there for New Zealand. They're not far away, and if they get a good performance from one of those guys, a Phillips, a, a Nisham, a Latham, someone like that to step up in the semi-final, you know, that's that's the path to victory for them for me. Yeah, I I think it is It is going to be exactly as you say, that sort of contribution from that top four. I think the other thing that you can probably take, I'm not going to say solace in, is that India's probably middle order hasn't been super tested throughout the course of the, uh, course of the tournament. Mm. I think, you know, Ravi Jadeja, um, fantastic player, but I think he would have had four or five games where he's not, you know, he's not got in. Um, and si similarly, Surakama Yadav's just come into the side. Um, he hasn't he, really done much. He, yeah. He's not done much yet. He's not played the whole tournament. Um, so if you can, with, with that bolt and, and save the axis and a bit of Lockie Ferguson, uh, Santner's often bowled quite early, um, you know, after the power play and even in the power play, um, to be able to get them under pressure three down quickly, um, that, you know, that could be another, you know, another sort of potential um, route. I like the segue into the Indian batting. Uh, you're right that New Zealand has to do the damage yeah. with the new ball because don't for one second think that the Indian batsmen are going to pad around Ratchan Ravindra and Glenn Phillips um, if, if when they come on, if there's a serious partnership on, they're going to go after those guys yeah. um, like they're part-time bowlers um, and they'll, they'll go after them. I did want to actually just talk about Virat Kohli because you know I like talking about Virat Kohli. You like Virat Kohli? I do like Virat Kohli. He, he can play. Um <laughs> I think that, you know, something that hasn't been acknowledged about him, the elements of his game is, I'm going to say he's literally playing another game, uh, but I'll put that into, into numbers for you. I've done some some research. So he's faced 615 balls. This, this World Cup was 100 more 
than Ruchin Ravindra, who's had an incredible World Cup with the bat. Mm. He's passed 50, 75% of the time, so six out of eight times he has passed 50. He's got a strike rate, this is the interesting one, he's got a strike rate of 88.29, whereas everyone around him has got something well over 100 or you know 107 or upwards. Uh, so he's playing a different game from that perspective. Uh, and the other one, he's only hit six sixes compared to everyone around him. Ruchin Ravindra is the, the lowest with 17 sixes um, around him. I know that, you know, Rohit Sharma is also number five or fifth out of the top five, Virat Kohli's third, uh, but Virat Kohli has been the mainstay in that Indian lineup that everyone has batted around. Uh, I think that he deserves a, a lot more credit that he's actually laying that anchor and allowing those around him, like middle order that you say, can come in and do a piecemeal kind of um, contribution because they have someone in there who's ready to bat towards the end um, and right Sharma able to do what he does at the start because he knows that Virat Kohli's there to, to clean up if it doesn't go right uh, I think he's been the, the, the pivotal pivotal figure in that Indian batting lineup and led to a lot of those those wins, those 8 out of 8 wins Yeah, no yeah. secret that he's the key wicket for New yeah. Zealand right? Right, right <laughs> boys, we're half an hour in um, we're going to move to the second semi-final. But can, I, can I just say, the, what, no. the, 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 uh, you said who, who scares, you know, who's the scary? Yeah. It's Sharma for me. Sharma, like Sharma up top, like yeah, that yeah. strike rate that he's been going at, the way he's, uh, we've touched on it a little bit throughout this tournament, the way he's kind of, you know, changed his game, I guess, to be that aggressor and stamp down and say, I'm going to set the platform right now. Terrified of him. We've got to get him early. Right. Predictions, boys. So we're just going to go one word. Predictions go, go, go or two. Yeah, let let go people wait. End. We're going to yeah, wait till the end. People wait suspense. for predictions. Yeah, suspense. Okay. Build some suspense. Oh, all right. Fair How long have we been doing this for? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It seems a while. Right. And um, second semi-final is Germany versus Denmark. No, that's the wrong wrong running order. Total football. It's not. um it's Australia and it's South Africa. Uh, so South Africa, I, I don't think got too much of a look in in our preview show, did they? Um, I think you. I think you might have said that they were uh, they were in the semi-finals. I, I know that we talked about them uh, as a. We have absolutely no idea what's going to happen because they've been so they were so good in the lead up, primarily against Australia, just smashing Australia all around the park, mm. and uh, we didn't know. Particularly Raj was uh, was unsure which which South Africa was going to turn up, and we've seen a pretty good one, I'd yeah. say. No, I've got some stuff for you. We'll have a <laughs> later on. So let, let's give the opener to, to Baldy on this. So sure. his countryman in the semi final. Um, so Glenn Maxwell is, yeah, if he's not on a golf buggy, he's certainly probably getting some rehydrating fluids at the moment, isn't he? Um, Baldy, after that, look, absolutely insane innings, uh, 200 and, mm. and probably 75 of them are on literally no legs. Yep. I think it's one of the most amazing things I've ever um, I've ever seen um, from, a, from a cricketing perspective. But coming into this game, where do you, you know, where do you feel Australia are? And, and please, can you answer this? in the fact that you're in the semi-final. So mm -hmm. there, there isn't a chance that you're going home. Um, there isn't a chance that, you, you know, you're going to be stripped of your status from the ICC right. as an international cricket you nation. You want a glass half full I, I'd like of, okay. it to be, half you know, at yeah. least, you know, a, a modicum parochial. Okay. okay, pint glass half full. Australia are a big chance against South Africa if we can take early wickets. I, I think South Africa really haven't been tested yet four down inside the first 25 overs against a really, really, really good attack that's on song. For Australia... Well, and when they have, it hasn't gone well. Yeah, exactly. And I think for Australia, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood absolutely must buck the trend of not taking wickets in the power play by striking early as they did against India and putting that South African top order under some real pressure. That is the key to victory for Australia. If we can have South Africa five or six down through 30 to 35 overs, that will restrict their ability for Klaassen, for Miller, for Marco Janssen and co to explode and score 150 to 180 runs inside the last 15, 16 overs of their batting innings. If South Africa can keep wickets in hand and bat around a guy like Russi van der Dussen or de Kock or Vavuma or similar, Markram, then South Africa score 350, 375, and I don't think Australia chased that down against a reasonable attack. Um, so Australia have to buck the trend of getting wickets in the power play, restricting that opening partnership, which, as we said in the last pod, is like somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 80 on yeah. average, depending on whether we bowl first or not. We have Six, to buck that 63 trend. 63.5 have been the average uh, opening partnership for against Australia, and 80, it goes up to 86.75 if they're bowling first. And, yeah, those those numbers for Hazelwood, Hazelwood averages 31, 
economy rate of five, so you know decent. That's but good. Cummins and Stark both averaging forty three at an economy rate of, of over six. Stark is Stark's is up to six and a half. So mm. yeah, it hasn't been good for those three at that's all. That's not going to get it done against South Africa. And that's with like a zero, isn't it, against India in the yeah in the first game? So. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I actually, uh, Baldy, I'll come to you. Remember that time at the start of the tournament we were about to put a red line through Australia? Yes. So I put a number of articles into a, a generative text uh, <laughs> to, uh, program on, on the internet, and this is what it gave me back. I'll read you the paragraph. Okay. So Australia's journey in this World Cup has been marked by a series of challenges and adjustments. At the beginning of the tournament, the team faced difficulties with dropped catches, which impacted their performance in the initial matches. The struggle to find consistent rhythm was evidence as key players like Steve Smith had to adapt to new roles within the team structure, mm-hmm. put in their Glenn Maxwell's injury, Mitch Marsh heading home, Travis Head coming in midway through the tournament. That's actually pretty pretty, pretty, good. pretty good description of it. So how do you feel about the rhythm of, of Australia going going forward and definitely for the back half of the tournament? Yeah, we, there's no there's no getting around the fact that Australia did start very slowly, and we started very slowly, if I remember, against South Africa and against India. They're, they're the two best sides in this tournament so far, I think, along with Australia and, and New Zealand. So I don't think there's any issue with the fact that Australia have started slowly, but what has impressed me is that, by and large, other than the opening bowling power play situation, Australia's middle order has stood up, barring maybe the, the Josh English conversation. I haven't forgotten your question. We'll get around to it. Um, but Maxwell has stood up. Marsh has stood up. Smith's starting to hit some form. His innings against uh, Bangladesh was very, very important, I yeah. think, from a from a momentum perspective for him. Had hit the ground running when he was back. Yeah, he'd hit the ground running, although he's nicked off a couple of yeah. times and he looked a bit average uh, last, last night against Bangladesh. But other than that, Australia have kind of fixed that middle order, Afghanistan 90 for 7 notwithstanding. Like, there's still a collapse in there, you know. That's the, that's the half a glass, half-empty perspective. But I've liked their contributions from their middle order. We've seen big scores from them, and we've seen good finishing. We've fixed up the catching, I think, to a, to a large extent. Australia look better prepared now from a fielding and energy perspective than they looked early in the tournament. They looked very, very flat, um, and I don't think they were very prepared, well prepared in those first two games. They look much, much better now, and winning papers over a lot of cracks, right? It's easy mm-hmm. to have fun in cricket when you're winning games. It's hard to have fun in cricket when you're, when you're getting pumped. So those things are fantastic. What will be super interesting is if we have those same levels of energy if Manus Lubbershane doesn't play. Because he has been dynamic in the field for Australia, particularly in that Bangladesh game. I mean, that was he, a great run out. That those one those, the run outs, the energy, the buzzing around in the field. If he could just manage to keep his mouth closed when it's <laughs> review time, that would be brilliant because then he would be the perfect fielder. You know, he, he gives us so much energy in the field that I think, you know, that is going to be something we miss if he doesn't play. Um, and it looks like, you know, with Maxwell coming back, with Stark coming back, I mean, Stark comes in for Abbott, that's a clean swap. But with Maxwell coming back, it's a decision of who, who misses out. I don't think Marsh is going to miss out. So it's either Labashain or Stoinis. Pretty unlucky to score 177 not out and mm. miss out in the next game. He, he won't miss out. Marsh won't miss out. So it's it's between uh, Marcus Stoinis, who's been batting at seven, and potentially Manus Labashain, who's been batting in that middle order. Uh, and... Stoinis really, from a you know, he, he offers a little bit with the ball. Mm. Where would you go? For me, it's a, it's a slam dunk. You, you'd be picking Labuschagne. Well, I think from he a offers more from a batting perspective and a fielding perspective. Yeah. but does Sto- he offer it at five? That's yeah. the question I've been battling with because I agree with you. I yeah. think Labuschagne's been you know f- by far a better contributor to Australia throughout this World Cup. But is he useful at five? Yeah, I so, don't know. So, so I've, I've thought about this, and I'd, I'd probably say no. But for the fact that Australia have got three guys to really exploit the power play, mm. they've got um, they've got Head, they've got Warner, and Warner's really you know I, I don't know the strike rates, but he's almost played more like Coley than he has like David Warner. Um, you know he, he's wanted to really make sure that um, you know he, he's you know he's going to go out with a bang, but you know still from a striking perspective, he's he's up there in the tournament. Yeah, one hundred got it one hundred one six or something yeah. somewhere like that. Um, but then you've got Mitch Marsh. So when you've got a dynamic one two three, you've got Steve Smith at four, you've got a Maxwell at five. Um, I, I think you've then got room for Labuschagne to bat five, six, or you know, or wherever, because he can either get you out of the shit, mm. um, you know, if if you need it, and particularly if one of those other guys is still in, then he's you know he's, he's Steve Smith number two. So for me, I'd, I, I'd you know, I, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of South Africa, I'd much rather they pick uh, Marcus Stoinis. Can I can I ask you, Wally, as mm. a as a Aussie patriot? Would you rather have uh, 
Manus Lampashe in there who's going to bet at five, and he's there essentially for a collapse. He's there as insurance, uh, yeah. Or would you prefer someone like Stoinis, who will chip in with the ball, has the ability to score an important 140 when, he, when is required, as we've seen firsthand, yep. um, but hasn't done that recently? Who, who would you feel more comfortable with? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really tough one, because if Australia come off, you'd want Marcus Stoinis to be batting in the last 10 overs. But I think, a little bit like Tom Latham for New Zealand, Manus Labuschagne at five is a bit of an insurance policy against an against an early collapse. And if Australia were three for fifty, he's the guy you want in there, sort of digging you out of the poo, as Adam said. But um, you know, if Australia were to go all out attack and try and match the firepower of South Africa, I think the logical decision would be to play Marcus Stoinis. If they were going to play Marcus Stoinis, I think Australia should have by now, and it's easy to say in hindsight. I think Australia should have by now opened the bowling with Marcus Stoinis, particularly mm. in India, okay. because he swings the ball and he stands the seam up quite nicely, a little bit like Saudi does. Not in the same class but uh, as Saudi, but he does stand the seam up. Whereas the Australian seamers, you know, you look at Hazelwood, Stark, uh, not Stark, but Hazelwood and Cummins in particular, bowl a lot of three-quarter seam, a lot of wobble seam stuff, which in Australian wickets you get, you know, you get a bit of jag and you get a bit of nip. But in India... If the conditions aren't conducive to that kind of bowling, you do need a guy early doors that can swing the ball a bit. We've seen actually Marcus Stoinis open the bowling for Australia and be okay. So I, I just wonder if Australia missed a trick in the Bangladesh game in particular because we didn't pick Stark to bowl Stoinis who played in the early overs of the power play when the ball is swinging and see if there was something there for Australia to be able to exploit. It's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's absolutely not something I thought of. And, and, you know, with Binksy's comment before around, you know, throwing something new, yeah, that that would be a big call, I think, to, to bring him up and, and open the bowling with him. I, I think the other thing is that, you know, the, the guys at the top of the bowling order for Australia haven't fired. No. But when you look at the stats, you know, they're all probably around 10 or 11 wickets, those guys, I think, um, Baldy. Um, if I look at um, yeah, Hazelwood, 12, Cummins, 10, Stark, 10. Um, obviously, that's at you know, the end of the round robin stages. And the, the guys at the top of the table, I think Zampa's got 22, 23 wickets. He's the mm. tournament's leading wicket taker. If Cummins and Stark finish with 15 apiece, they've probably won the World Cup. Yeah, so probably. I, I think, and, and we've seen them perform on that big stage, whether it's red ball or white ball cricket. Their class is un, undoubted. And if there is anything on offer... Um, and I think you know there was a little bit on offer um, in that in uh, in that Pakistan England yep. game at Eden Gardens yesterday. Um, Harris Rive um, bowled an awful uh, first delivery that went for twelve wides. Um, it was that wide, um, but then you know although he went for thirty off his first three overs, the rest of that first over after the wide, he actually extracted a hell of a lot of movement, and it, mm. it was a little bit like that spell from Pakistan in the T20 World Cup final at the MCG where they were just really, really lucky to, to keep going past the outside yeah, edge. Yeah. So I, I think if there's a little bit on offer for that attack mm. on in that stadium, uh, we, you know, we could see those guys come back into form. And I, I hate to say it, but with a Starker Cummins or Hazelwood with tails up, yeah. um, that's something you don't we'll, want we'll to see. We'll know after three overs, honestly. Yeah. We'll know after Stark's second over if it's going to go right for Australia. I've said on a number of occasions, you kind of do know sometimes with Mitchell Stark after he bowls one ball, whether or not it's going to go for him. Because mm. if he gets the first ball right, he tends to get his tail up a little bit. If he strays down the leg side or he gets, you know, strays onto the pads and gets clipped for four early doors, particularly in the first couple of balls of his first over, sometimes it doesn't quite go his way and, and he doesn't really have the same like pep in his step, the same sort of tap in his heel, and you, you don't get the best out of Mitchell Stark. So I think Australia are going to know within the first three overs of that bowling innings whether or not they're on. And if they're on, we're a big chance. If we're not and we're bowling gun barrel straight to the South African lineup, we are going to get taken downtown for a lot of maximums. Yeah, is it, is it as simple as that? I mean, you touched on it before about the South African power. Like, we haven't talked really about South Africa yet. Yeah. Let's compare it to India. Let, let, well, looking down that list, you, you know, we wouldn't have been saying this at the start of the tournament. We've just talked about Robert Sharma, Virat Kohli, uh, Yadav, Sharma, all these guys. Look at the... Look at the stats that the South Africans have put up from a batting perspective. It is insane throughout the course of this tournament. It absolutely is. De Kock, 66 at 100, over 100. Vanderdussen, 55. 55. Markram, 49. Klaassen, 40 at a strike rate of 140. You know, like, and then you've got Miller, who's striking at 120 as well. Even Janssen's kind of chipping in there with averaging almost 40. Like, is, is the game as simple, like, basically... 
if Australia cannot st- you know stop that firepower from South Africa by taking wickets, this game is over. I think so. I think I think it's as simple as that for Australia. If Australia are going to win the semi-final, we must make inroads early, and we must make those four, five, six for South Africa in particular have to bat out of their normal game plan. We mm-hmm. have to make them do something different, i.e. get them in early against the moving ball and make them bat 30 overs if they're going to go big at the end rather than go, well, I get 20 balls to warm up and then I get to smash it. Yeah, you had a big girl yeah, in no, the face. Well, I, I disagree. I disagree. I, I, I think that, good. you know, the good, the good thing about South Africa, if I'm taking the positives, you're right. You look down that list, I feel like everyone with the bat has contributed. They've all had opportunity. They've faced balls. Even David Miller down at six has been able to, to face a good number of, of deliveries throughout this tournament. Their bowlers have been consistent. Very consistent, Very actually. consistent across Quite the board. Underrated, picking up wickets amongst themselves. All of their frontline bowlers except Ngedia averaging under 27 mm. with the ball. Yeah. And they're all conceding under six and over too. Which, yeah. which, which is incredible. However, and they haven't really given me a reason to feel this way at all, but I feel like their batting and bowling uh, are subject to massive collapse at, at any point. Um, we've said it, we've talked about it at, uh, when they when their 4, 5, 6 or their 5, 6, 7 have been in early or earlier part of the innings. It hasn't necessarily gone well for them. I don't think they bat well with that uncertainty certainty, yeah. or change to what their, their plan is. Mm. So there's always that outside possibility that I feel that, that they're, they're not far from a collapse either with the bat or the ball. You look at 1999, uh, their 1999, their, who didn't turn up, their batsmen didn't turn up in 1999, 2015, their bowlers didn't turn up. In, these exa- in this exact same stage, the semi-final stage. In order to win a semi-final, it's going to be the team that, that plays best across the ball with, mm. with both sides of the ball. I, I love that you've doubled down on this take. I love it so much that you've just <laughs> yes. gone, South Africa, have, they, have, have South Africa proved to you they're good, Raj? No, they yeah. have well, not. To, so, be, to be fair, India took Janssen down early and they, and they shot his confidence. You could yeah. see it in his body manner. You could see it in his face. You could see it just in the way that he was approaching the crease. Just the physical ownership of his bowling space, the crease. Janssen did have did not have any ownership of that space at all. And it wasn't if it wasn't for the fact that Rohit hit one straight at their best fielder, Timber Bavuma, yeah. when he was on forty four, it could have got even worse at that point. So I, I take your point completely, Raj. There is an opportunity to dominate that South African side, but Australia are going to be have to be at their absolute best, and they're going to have to do it in areas of the game that, as I said, they haven't quite done it in the group stage if they're going to take South Africa down. Yeah, I think it is going to be, you know, a little bit of a mental thing. And I think the longer they, you know, they don't sort of get over the line, regardless of what era, you know, regardless of the fact that we're talking about 1999, which was 24 years ago, and that was Sean Pollock and Lance Klusner and some others, these guys weren't around. But they've still got that weight of expectations, haven't they? And mm. that, that tag, you know, that choking tag comes up. Well, they, they've um, never made it. They've never made a final in, in T20 or, World, yeah. or, an, or a 50 over World Cup. Yeah. Um, so, so look, I think uh, yeah, I, I just want to apologise and, and, and eat some humble pie as opposed to Raj. I'm going to carry on with my. my um, I, I said Maharaj was, was going to be a weak link from a spinning perspective throughout the course of the tournament, mm-hmm. and we we talked a lot about Shamsi and Shamsi's played you know three games, and, and Maharaj has played um, all nine so far, 14 wickets at 24, and has um, has looked um, probably bar Mitch Santner, I think that you know the, the best uh, uh, the best of his craft in terms of left arm spin at this tournament for me. He's been great, yeah, spot on. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, as I said before, I think that South African bowling lineup, yeah, everyone's kind of just talked about the power of their batting the whole time. But that bowling lineup, as you said, everyone has kind of, they've, they've had their moments, like yeah. the Janssen. Yeah, that was. And Kassir as well. Yeah, uh, we haven't mentioned him. Can, He's can, got the most wickets can, and at the best average. Can't yeah. wear a headband very well, but has bowled extremely well. Loves the so celebration. Loves, loves the celebration. celebration. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're, we're very B- big on him. B- Border, you, you want to say more on Kassir? No, he's very good. He's very good. He's very, very good. Statistically, their best bowler in this tournament. He's good. Goes good. Yeah, goes good. Gets no credit. My kind of guy. I I do think the yeah the mental thing is quite interesting because because of all of that and because we're going to see at least for the fans anyway for South Africa's fans the amount of replays from the ninety nine like the ninety nine semi that are going to come up. I hope Lance Klusner is kind of just hiding away from his TV because that that replay of the way that game finished and yeah the, even like I wrote you know I said New Zealand there were shades of twenty nineteen. This does have sort of shades of. 1999 in terms of the path for both of these sides 
Australia and South Africa. I think that 99 tournament Australia was very oh, similar. They, early, they, they struggled yeah. early and everyone kind of said, oh, they're done. They had three must wins, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, we had to win more than that. Yeah, we yeah. had to win. Mo- I think we had to win out from mm. at yeah. one point yeah. Yeah. after losing two or three early games to make the semifinals. Yeah, and did it. And then and South Africa was the same thing, kind of dominant early. Everyone sort of penciled mm. them in and then, yeah, we know what happened in the semifinal. So, yeah, look, look, I think at least mentally it's for, for a lot, you know, all these teams, I think the mental game now in these knockout games is going to come in, especially, you know, India. We, we don't know how much that, you know, the weight of expectation is going to play on. Is it going to be a huge plus or is it, and same for South Africa, is the fact that all of these guys have gone, well, we've just seen South Africa win the Rugby World Cup, you know, we've, we're, we're a new generation, we're going to be the first ones and get pumped up and win this game. Who knows? Before we get to predictions, boys, I did ask Baldy a question this morning, which, yes. he, which he ignored. I'm not going to let him ignore <laughs> it on this podcast uh, as well. It was around Josh Inglis, Baldy. So mm-hmm. um, Australia made you know pretty bold call because Kerry started the tournament, didn't he? With, yeah, played with, one game. Played got, one game and, and then got hooked. Um, so Inglis has come in. Um, look, I am a realist as well as a keeping purist and uh, Kerry is a better gloveman. There's no doubt about that. I think English obviously... Gives a yeah, or Australia feels he, he offers more uh, with the bat. The stats so far uh, 58 runs across the tournament, an average just under 19, doesn't really back that, um, back that up. Do, do you think Australia might come to regret that call because they can't really, unless they go with Raj and sort of double down on changing your keeper every five minutes, they, they, they can't, <laughs> they can't that, walk they it can't back make now. that change, can no, they? They can't walk it back now, uh, even, even through the fact that, yeah, like you say, he's only scored 131 runs, highest score of 58. He's only got to 50 once and never really looked like taking any of those batting innings by the by the scruff of the horns and, and really doing something, you know, amazing with it. You kind of know what you get with Alex Carey to a certain extent most of the time. You get 35 to 40-ish. You, you might get 100. I think he scored 100 when Australia chased down 300 a few years ago with Maxwell. Um but you, you don't get explosiveness from, from Alex Carey as often as you get you know a solid performance in the middle order. It's been a weakness for Australia for a number of years now. I think pretty much since Gilchrist retired, we haven't really had an explosive wicketkeeper batter like England have had. Um, we, we haven't had one as, as consistent even as Tom Latham um, uh, or, or a batter that also is able to wicketkeep yeah. that can earn his place in the top five. So it, it is an area of weakness for Australia. I think, you know... Would Alex Carey potentially have averaged more than 18? I'd say so. Um, would he have given us Australia a little bit more with the gloves? I'd say so. Australia made a bold call at the start of the tournament. Let's hope it doesn't bite them in the keys to come semi-final time. He's a better batsman, right, Inglis? Australia has chosen the better batsman of the two. I, I believe that that's what Australia feel. Um, I think Inglis is more explosive than Carey. Um, but on the tournament form, going mm. across eight games that Inglis has played, I think in... And look... It's is very easy in retrospective to sit here and say that Alex Carey would have performed better. His tournament form wasn't great going in Carey's, um, and I can see why Australia made the decision to make the change. I was in favour of it at the time. I thought it was a bold decision. It was a brave decision to, to go ahead and do that. Certainly not a popular one. No one in the Australian cricket fraternity and, and community um, really thought that that was the right thing to do, to drop a guy after one game, and I get it. But if they were going to make a bold decision, I'm, gl- I'm glad they went with it. But, it, you know, Inglis, by his own standards, has probably underperformed in, in the course of this tournament. Yeah. Are we ready for predictions, boys? Is it late enough in the podcast for you, Stu? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, I don't know that there's much more to talk about. Right. Well, there probably is. We could probably talk for another hour, but I don't think anyone needs that. Fair enough. Right. Prediction time. We're going to go in chronological order again. We'll okay. start with semi-final number one. I'm going to I'm going to start with you, boys. Heads heads or hearts, or, or is it both? I, I I mean, look, I'm yeah probably the most parochial person on this podcast, but I just think India is too good. I I honestly they've been so good in this tournament. I I'm very, and I think the thing about this New Zealand side is I don't think we're at our best. We, we can certainly beat India on our day. You know, we have... Uh, I, I do think there will be a little bit of the mental side and that's probably a plus in our side. You know, we have very good memories against India in World Cups. But I just think that I'm, I'm worried that we're not going to be able to take wickets up front with Bolt and Saudi in the way that we have in every other World Cup where they've been at and that they've been able to do that. They've been able to swing the ball, 
you're just not getting that in India. It's not happening. And if that's the case, it's going to be really, really difficult to get through that Indian batting lineup. And if they bat first, score a big score, or you know, chasing whatever we get, and they put, you know, we can't get wickets early on. I, I don't see how we can win that game. Yeah, Raj. Yeah, I, I'm actually thinking along the same lines of Stu. I, I think that you know, it would, I would be, I would love New Zealand oh, to win that game, mate. be incredible. But I think the the pitch they're playing on, the team they're playing against, I think that it's going to be a step too far. It would have been interesting, I think, if they played on on the pitch in the other semi final. Yeah, mm-hmm. that had a little bit in it for the, those those part time spinners. Uh, might do something incredible off the you know off the seam in the new ball, but I just think the pitch is going to be good to bat on, and we're going to see the uh, the full extent of India's firepower with the bat, and it will be too irresistible. Yeah, on the same, I think the levelness of the playing field, i.e., that it's going to be a flat deck, um, means that you know if India show up anything like they have in the nine games so far, I, I just think they'll be too good, uh, too good on the day. Um, notwithstanding, if you get you know someone has an absolute day out. Um, a Maxwell-esque day out, you, you never know. Um, but yeah, I, I think India just too strong at the moment. Baldy, is it a clean sweep? I have good news for New Zealand fans. You're going to go with India. <laughs> I think India are going to win and I'm always wrong. <laughs> I'm always wrong. I think India are going to win. So look, bet large on, no, don't bet large on New Zealand. Gamble responsibly. But good news for New Zealand fans because I think India are going to win. All but right. I, yeah, look, I mean, I think Raj is got the best quote for India in the, throughout this whole World Cup and that you said they almost only have to do one thing well, yeah. you know, bat well or bowl well, and they win the game. And look, they've just yeah. been so good. Right. Let's start um, with you, Baldy. Yeah, okay. A, snake a, draft. A, Australia, a, a snake draft, yeah. It's like the <laughs> McIntyre theory. <laughs> right, Baldy, what do you reckon? I have, I have bad news for Australian fans because I think they're going to win. I, I, I think Australia are going to win. I don't know what it is about this matchup from between Australia and South Africa, but I kind of like it for Australia now. Um, I think Australia are going to win. Don't ask me how, don't ask me why. It got, well, a, lot, a lot of it will come down to those first four or five bowling overs yeah. for Australia, but I think Australia will do it. Um, I've got bad news for Australian fans as well. Um, I actually think Australia are going to nick this as well. Um, I, I think this has got shades of... Some of those performances, I look at my bookcase here, I've got the Steve War No Regrets diary, the 97 Ashes diary. You know, the, the stories in there around when they did have their backs to the wall and pulled three or four really, really key performances together. And it just feels like they're in that sort of vein at the moment, um, Australia. So I, I think you'll see one of those uh, big three seamers stand up in, in each of these games. Um um, and, and particularly in the South Africa game coming up. So, yeah, I think Australia get over the line as well. Raj? Well, we know what you think. <laughs> Look, if, if South Africa win, I'll be the first person up there singing the, the national anthem in Afrikaans um, for the final if they do beat Australia. But I think Australia are going to be too strong. I think there's a massive mental component when it gets to this this knockout stage of, of um, cricket. And South Africa haven't proved to me that they are able to win those games with their, um, where the, that's on the line. It's all on the line. The, the pink slips out there. Um, they've been very consistent throughout this tournament in South Africa. They've played probably better than Australia for the majority of the tournament. Um, but I just think Australia are going to be um, too strong on the day. Can I say, I think... Uh I think whoever wins the toss wins. Is that is that is that allowed? No. Because I actually think that is going to be super important in terms of the mental stuff. Like I, we have seen South Africa, it's no secret at all that they, when they bat first, have been a far better team in this tournament. So I yeah. do think that is important. I will say, on the other hand, I, I actually think South Africa is going to win this game. And because you know, sorry to not have a clean sweep both ways, but I really think that they'll. I do agree, the, the mental side of things, and we've seen that when they chase. Yeah. But the positive side for them is that they've just humped Australia a number of times. And I do, before the tournament, I know, you know, yes, maybe it doesn't count at all, but I do think they'll take a lot of confidence from that. And yeah, if, if I do think Toss is the key decider, but if I have to just say right now, I think South Africa takes it home. Awesome. Well, guys, I think that's a good place 
uh, to end the podcast. So uh, get your money. Um, clearly, on a, a New Zealand uh, South Africa final is the uh, I'll take that is the, uh, the the sort of lesson to take away. We are going to be back in your podcast feeds after every game as well. So our normal uh, seven a.m. recording here in New Zealand for release about eight a.m. New Zealand time. So um, even if we're all not on the finals preview, we'll get the proxies into that. Um, into that show so that you can uh, you can listen to our individual final predictions and that will be live uh, yeah sort of later in the week sort of Friday mm. uh, of next week um, if you do want to dip back into the back catalogue we've got some pretty decent um, news views and interviews because um, it's been a daily podcast every day for the last uh, <laughs> the last uh, 30 or 40 days so Mike Costi talks some World Cup cricket for sure mm. uh, we've got Mike Hessen um, in the recent interviews as well. So do dip back and listen to that if you are missing our dulcet tones for two or three days in between uh, shows, which will be a little more infrequent now. We're into the business end of the tournament with these games spread over the next three or four days. Um, and then we will be back with the This Week in Cricket to uh, review the final um, about this time next week on your podcast um, or video podcast uh, feed. But for now, it's, um, it's good afternoon and good bless from us here mm-hmm. in Auckland at about... 3.30 p.m. Uh, we hope wherever you are, you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. If you do, please, um, as the YouTubers say, smash like and subscribe. <laughs> um, it does help others uh, find uh, the podcast. Um, <laughs> and at some point, we'll be able to earn four cents an episode as well, which will be very, very helpful. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to update these polo shirts at some point. But um, for now, it's good night or good afternoon, and we'll see you next time on the Top Order Podcast. See ya.